This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. And God has always, always had a remnant. Even during the darkest of times with Israel, God had a remnant who continued to worship the one true Jehovah God, who continued to have that focus and that desire of obedience to Him. Even during the dark ages of the church, when it seemed like all of the church was completely off in our worship and our praise, God still had a remnant that continued on. Beloved, God will always, always, always have a remnant. Join us today as Pastor David teaches about the importance of being a remnant in this world for God. Even though there is darkness all around you and evil may seem to be prevailing, God still has a remnant. Are you a part of God's remnant in an evil world? There are many within the church that are not truly a part of God's remnant because they act and look just like the world. You are called as a Christian to be set apart from the world, not to become friends with it. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 1, with part one of our message entitled, Final Answer. Paul writes in, I say then, has God cast away his people? Remember, that was our question. Well, he brings out the answer in my new King James. It says, certainly not. In your King James Version, it says, God forbid. Actually, the word God or the word for God is not in the Greek, but the words that Paul uses that is translated here, certainly not, is so adamant that those uh, who translated the King James just couldn't think of it any stronger than say, God forbid. Paul is saying, well, of course not. What are you thinking? No, God has not cast them away. And then he goes on to explain and to speak about it. He says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Paul is declaring, if he cast them away, well, I would be cast away too. Because I was an Israelite, and Paul elsewhere speaks about the fact, man, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, I was standing above my peers in pursuit of things. I was even a persecutor of the church. And, and he declares here, and God didn't cast me away. So the answer has to come back strong and clear, is that God does not break his covenants. God keeps his covenant. And that is the declaration that you and I need to hold on to in our own life, but also in our understanding of how God moves and works, even in the life of Israel. He goes on in, in, verse, in verse 2, the second portion of it, he says, Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've, they've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. And Paul comes back, but what does the divine response say to him? I've reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now, you remember the story how Elijah, a very powerful prophet of God, commanded that all the prophets of Baal meet him on the top of Mount Carmel and that they would bring sacrifices there. And he told the prophets of Baal, you pray to your God and see if your God will bring fire on your sacrifice. And they prayed all day. They jumped up and down, hooted and hollered and all these things, cut themselves, nothing ever happened. And then Elijah, after a very simple prayer, God, boom, brought down not only fire upon the sacrifice, but on all the water, even consumed the stones. Everything was gone. 
And then after that, after that mighty, powerful man of God sees this great victory over the forces of the demonic god Baal and the forces of the evilness of the people who had turned away from God, this mighty man of God, after he's had this great victory in his life, hears the words of Jezebel, the queen, saying, well, I'm going to take that guy's head off. And suddenly, all that power, all that strength, he backs down. Well, ladies, you, you are powerful in your own right. There is no doubt about that. But that still does not give Elijah excuse to back down and pull away. Well, he goes and he has this little pity party of his own. He says, oh, Lord, I'm the only one left. All of Israel is turned against you. I'm the only one left. And I love what Paul says, that divine response that comes back. He says, oh, no. No, 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 no. I've reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. He's saying there is still a remnant, and I will always have a remnant, Elijah. And God has always, always had a remnant. Even during the darkest of times with Israel, God had a remnant who continued to worship the one true Jehovah God, who continued to have that focus and that desire of obedience to Him. Even during the dark ages of the church, when it seemed like all of the church was completely off in our worship and our praise, God still had a remnant that continued on. Beloved, God will always, always, always have a remnant. And that's what Paul is declaring about even the Israel of his day, that God had a remnant that he was working with. He says there in verse 5, Even so then, at this present time there is a remnant, according to the election of grace. This remnant, this portion, this group that God is still working with, still moving, God is still going to speak with. I love that phrase, according to the election of grace. What does he mean by that election of grace? We've been talking about election and foreknowledge and predestination through this whole series. If you weren't here for that, you can get it online, find out what we're saying about it, what I believe Paul is speaking about it. But let me suffice it to say, I'm not going to rehash all of what we've said already. Let me say this, that God has a purpose and a plan, and God continues to stick to his purpose and his plan, and God has chosen to reveal himself and to reveal salvation in order that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Adam Clark, a Bible commentator, writes these things. He says, the election of grace simply signifies God's gracious design in sending the Christian system into the world and saving under it all those who believe in Christ Jesus and none else. There is a plan. There is a purpose. It is the election of grace. God chose to use grace rather than the ritual, rather than the ceremony, rather than even the sacrifice of animals. He says, I am going to do it by grace. My son is sufficient in his sacrifice for you in order that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. So we see all that God is working and doing, what Paul is trying to explain to us here. God's not finished with Israel yet. All that they've done over these last couple of chapters as he's spoken about them, God's not finished with them yet. And then we get to verse 6. Verse 6, kind of an interesting verse, I love it. He says, now, if by grace, then it's no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, then it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. You got that? Uh, we're going to read it again. Okay. 
If it's by grace, then it's no longer works, and otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it's by works, then it's no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. Okay, Paul, you're giving me a headache here. Let me put it into a way that hopefully you'll be able to, to, to grasp it. And I know maybe math and in particular algebra may not be the strong point of you all, but let's look at it that way. Let me introduce to you a couple of values to an equation we're going to work. First of all, A equals grace through faith. Just remember that. A equals grace through faith. B equals works of righteousness. And X equals salvation. Just remember those three things. A equals grace through faith. B equals works of righteousness. These are good works. These are the works that Paul says, man, they, they did all of these works. They, they worked at righteous living on uh, doing the right thing all of the time. But they were still, nonetheless, they were still works. And then X equals salvation. Now, to help you understand verse 6 We're going to put this equation a little bit. Some of the things that we know, first of all, A does not equal B. A does not equal B. Grace does not equal works. That's what he says right here. If it's by grace, then it's no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. If it's works, then it can't be grace. If it's grace, then it cannot be works. You have to understand that, beloved, because even today, many within the church try to pile on upon grace works in order to declare that you are truly saved. We can go to churches even within this city that says even to be a part of this church, you've got to sign this document that says, I will not do this, I will not do this, and I will do this, and I will do this, even to become a member of that church. I don't see that within the Word of God, that if I'm part of the body of Christ, that I am part of the body of Christ, and that comes about by grace through faith, not not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace does not equal works. The second portion of that equation is, is that A does equal X. Grace through faith does equal salvation. How am I saved? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is it, folks. We can come and we can say, well, you've got to be baptized. You've got to do the Lord's Supper. You've got to do this ritual. You've got to do this in your life. You've All of these things that we can add on, you have to be in attendance to this meeting, this number of meetings, all of these things. And man continues to put on law after law after law after God has completed the law through Jesus Christ and said, it's finished, the work of the law is done, now it's by grace that you're saved through faith, and yet man says, oh yeah, but I I understand that, but yet you still need to do this. You need to be a member of my church in order to be saved. You have to have the blessing of our church and our denomination in order to be saved. Beloved, that's not in the Word of God. That is absolute, again, literally heresy from what the message of grace is all about. And if it is grace that equals salvation, and grace and works do not equate to each other, then therefore we can come to the understanding that B does not equal X. Works cannot get you to heaven. Works cannot 
put a place for you in the presence of God for all of eternity. There is no way. And I want to tell you this this morning. Purity will not get you to heaven. Some of you are going, whoa, how was that? Thought we're supposed to be pure. Understand what the Word of God declares. It's by grace we are saved through faith. That not of ourselves. It cannot be something that you and I do in order to gain salvation. It's the very mercy of God that's done it. Now, I need to be quick to add because some of you think, well, great, man, I got liberty. I can go out and live like a wild person. No, that's not it because now, because we are saved, because we do have the grace, because we do have the mercy, because we are born again, God has called us to live like children of His and not like children of the devil. That's not in order to gain salvation, though, beloved. That's because we are saved. That's because I am his child, that I'm living as his child. If I am a child of the devil, I'm going to live like the child of the devil. And what a sad declaration it is when children of the king live like children of the devil. And beloved, that is sin. And we are literally tramping the very blood of Christ. Caution. Care needs to be taken in those things. We are not called to live that way. And if we are truly born again and the Holy Spirit abiding within us, man, the Holy Spirit of God will continue to work and pull and draw on our heart in those things. Now, that helps us to understand that if it's by grace, then it's no longer of works, right? Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And if it's of works, it's no longer works. Otherwise, work is no longer work. That helps us to understand that. Well, now we get into verse 7. Verse 7 says, well, what then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it? Again, this this question comes in. In order to understand verse 7, you'd need to see it in the context of all that we've been studying over the last several weeks. Over in chapter 9, verse 6, Paul declares, For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. You think, okay, this is another head spinner, Paul. Though they are Israel, they're, they're not Israel. Well, what exactly are you saying? Again, as we went over that section, we understand that those who are physical Israel, those who are born of the bloodline of Israel, are not the spiritual Israel, because spiritual Israel still comes by faith in Messiah. They have to recognize the Messiah. They are saved just like you and I. They're not saved through ritual. They're not saved through ceremony. They're not saved through any other sacrifices. Save Jesus Christ. There is no way under heaven whereby man will be saved. Saved through Jesus Christ. And you see, that's the true for Israel, too. So we need to understand that. But along with that, we then also need to understand what he said in chapter 9, verses 30 to 32, where he says to them and about them, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. What he's saying is, now, the Gentiles, they didn't try to do all the righteous stuff. They didn't go through all the ceremony. They didn't go through all the tradition. And yet they obtained righteousness? How does that work? How how does that come about? They obtained the righteousness of faith. 
But Israel, verse 31 says, pursuing the law of righteousness, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do that in order to be pleasing to God, in order for God to receive you. That's the law of righteousness. They did not obtain to the law of righteousness. In other words, they didn't fit. They, they didn't quite get there. They tried, they strived, but just like everyone, they fell short of the standard of the holiness of God. That's why he says, why? Because they did not seek it by faith. Israel didn't receive salvation because they did not seek it by faith. They wanted to do it on their own. Just like a multitude of people today that darken the doors of churches all around our nation and all around the world, thinking that they are pleasing God by being actively involved in an organization. It may be a good organization. It may be a godly organization. It might even be a Christ-preaching organization. And they think if I can just come and be involved, then God will be pleased with that. And beloved, I'm telling you this morning that that is not true. And my suggestion to you is don't darken another church door until you understand the truth that it's not by ritual, it's not by ceremony, it's not by attendance, it's not by membership, it's not by any other thing than faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. And that's what he declares back in verse 7 of chapter 11. Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it. They obtained it through faith, not through works. And he goes on there. He says, but the rest, they were blinded. The rest, those who did not see it through faith, were blinded. Verses 8 through 10, he, write, he writes there, Just as it's written, God has given them a spirit of stupor. My version almost said spirit of stupid, but we'll look at that in a moment. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. Where he says up there that God has given them a spirit of stupid or stupor. Uh, the, the Greek word there is actually katanoxis, katanoxis, and is the word that we get that idea of that catatonic estate or state, how, how someone can literally come to a point of absolute, almost a, a coma, completely out of it. And that's what he speaks, that because they did not receive the truth of the gospel, they're, they're in a stupor. They don't know what to do. They don't know what direction to go. And their eyes have been darkened. Well, again, this whole argument, why have their eyes been darkened? What is God doing in the midst of that? Has he done that in order to cast them away? No, he answered that earlier. Now he gives further explanation in verses 11 through 15. In verse 11 he says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? And again, certainly not. That's still God's final answer. I keep my covenants. He remains faithful. He says, but through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? 
For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. Paul says, you know what, if their setting aside, if their blindness, if their fall brings about a great blessing to you as the Gentiles, because now you're hearing the word, you're coming to faith in Christ, then how much more, what a blessing it's going to be to all of us for every Jew that would come to the knowledge of the fullness of their Messiah, to everyone in Israel who would recognize that, no, Jesus is the true Messiah. You see, they are filled with tradition, they are filled with devoutness, They are filled with many things, but they continue to miss. And what Paul is saying, man, what a blessing it would be for them in the midst of their zeal to be able to have that zeal which is correct and is for the things of God. Paul says, as a matter of fact, I want to continue to grow my ministry. I want to magnify my ministry to the Gentiles. I want to see as many Gentiles, one to the Savior as possible, if by any means... They might get jealous or they might be provoked to the point of saying, you know what, they speak of having a personal relationship with the God of our fathers. They speak of knowing and hearing from Jehovah God, the one who spoke to Israel, who made us and formed us as a nation. What is it that they have that we don't have? Even today, you can go to Israel and Israel, by and large, the devout ones, speak of a national relationship with God, not a personal relationship. The Jew even today knows nothing of the personal relationship with God that you and I have. And God longs to call them to himself. And he has sent Christ. And what Paul is saying is as you and I as believers live the fullness of our faith as believers, then the Jews will be spurred on to jealousy. They'll want to know what is it that they have What is that that's working in them that we have missed, that perhaps they might come to a saving knowledge of the one and true Messiah? Verses 16 through 22, he gives this olive tree illustration to help us understand a little bit better. In verse 16, he says, For if the first fruit, speaking of Israel, is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches." And if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You'll say then that branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, well said, he said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith, but do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. He says that here is the branch and all that God had designed in purpose. And the olive tree has always been a, an illustration of Israel. And because of their unbelief, God broke branches off of that. But in the breaking away of those branches, he gives place for you 
and I to be a part of that olive tree, the one where the root, the foundation, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And you and I are grafted in. Then verses 23 to 24 speak about that engrafting. He says, and they also, if they do not continue, if they don't continue in unbelief, well, they'll be grafted back in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? God says, I've taken you, you're a wild tree, you weren't even really part of it here. I've taken you and I've taken your branches and I've grafted them in to the olive tree of the heritage and the promises and the covenant and the plan and the purpose of Almighty God. You were grafted in not by a work of your own might, but by faith and by the grace of God. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Romans next time. It's been said that if a believer were to drop their Bible on the ground, it should fall open to the book of Romans. Why, you might ask? Because this book is packed full of doctrine that we truly need to grasp as believers in Jesus. Or maybe you're listening today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet. We encourage you to continue tuning in Monday through Friday as Pastor David shares insights from this book. Pastor David will be teaching through this book with hopes that all those tuning in each day here on The Open Word would either be saved or be encouraged in their salvation. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. And to become our Facebook friend or to follow The Open Word Twitter feed or to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the Book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word.